Making history in LATAM's fintech industry is very on-brand for today's guest. Born and raised in Buenos Aires, Pierpaolo Barbieri left Argentina to study in the U.S. as a young adult. He returned 12 years later with a Harvard degree and a career as an economic historian and published author. But you may know him from being the founder and CEO of Walla. Walla's complete financial ecosystem was created with the ambition of unifying all financial services into one app. And with 3.5 million cards issued in just four years, I'd say they're on track to meet their goals. With a $350 million Series D, led by SoftBank, at a whopping $2.45 billion valuation, they're now locked and loaded to expand all across Latin America. Join Pierpaolo and I for a chat about building the Netflix of finance, the role of fintech in promoting social mobility, what challenger banks can and should do differently. My name is Brian Reckworth, and this is Latitude Podcast. Vamos Latam. Hey, what's up, listeners? Thanks for uh, tuning in to another episode. Excited about this episode with Pierpaolo. The guy is pretty incredible, and I want to give him a special shout out. He's been grinding hard. Before we recorded this uh, episode, uh, it hadn't happened yet, but he's now officially opened up Colombia as a new market. So three years going after that banking license, finally made it happen. People of Colombia are going to get to experience voila. Congrats on that. It's a big milestone, and hope you enjoy this episode. Vamos Latam. So listen, first of all, it's really a pleasure to have you on. I follow you on Twitter, so I get like a lot of your pithy like tweets and uh, you're like a, you're a fun guy to like, it's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. And thanks for saying that so that my team asks me to delete fewer tweets. That's right, man. There's no censoring at all. And just so they hear that. I'd love to just kick off and you're from Argentina, right? Originally. And you came back to Argentina. I mean, you were abroad and you decided to build a company for a reason far beyond just being your home country. But what's the opportunity that you were looking to seize when you, when you started Walla? Well, first of all, um, I, I had a great 12 years in the United States and the UK. I studied uh, in the US and then I, I continued my studies in the UK and then I worked uh, almost for a decade in the US. Uh, but I always had the idea of going back to my own country. And I thought it was a land of opportunity, uh, but I needed the right idea. And I thought, voila, was that. Um, and, and the reason that is, is because of the very profound um, lack of financial inclusion that we have in Latin America, or rather the very profound financial exclusion that we have in the region. And so I thought that we could create basically the reality of the developed world in the developing world, which is the idea of giving everybody an account and as we digitize our economies, that becomes central to future growth and future opportunities for people because more and more of our share of wallet will become online very soon. It's already doing so accelerated by the pandemic. And so in that context, if we give uh, people the possibility to transact digitally as opposed to transacting cash, we give them the possibility to create a better credit history, to access investments maybe for the first time, to access insurance maybe for the first time. And the simplest thing of them all, just be able to pay for Netflix. Because you know, many of these companies have a global product that is priced in a very local way. So for less than the cost of one uh, ticket to the movies, Netflix gives you, you know, monthly entertainment for your whole family. Spotify gives you an unlimited library of music. Um, and like that, you, know, you could talk about Disney or Paramount or whatever, HBO and whatever it may be. And so more and more of our wallets are going to these online services. We need to be able to have people paying for them and in the process 
um, create future growth for our economies with the positive cycle of, of the creation of credit, insurance, investments, merchant acquiring, all those things that we built over the times. Yeah, I guess that's something interesting to think about that people like maybe in listeners in the U.S. might not think about is that when you're digitized with your with money, you actually have access to more offerings, right? It is so simple and yet so complex. When you transact in cash, you're basically doomed uh, and trapped uh, to whatever is within five or 10 blocks away. Whereas with a digital payment method, and then we can debate if that's a card with NFC, QR, you know, card not present transactions, whatever they may be, you can buy from anywhere. You can buy from Tokyo, you can buy from um, Boston, or, or you can buy from Bolivia. It doesn't matter. Whereas if you, if you live in cash, you don't have the ability to make those transactions. And also you don't have the ability to create a credit history. We are literally competing with banks that still have Brian's credit profile in paper form. And where companies need to, in order to open an account, they need to go through the legal permissions to see who's the signatory for the company and prove that with paper. And so how are you going to fund those companies? How are you going to help those people? And so digital gives you the ability to actually be more human. Uh, we worry that digital makes us distant, but in reality, in finance, digital makes it more humane. The treatment becomes more open, more accessible, more transparent. The pricing is, is far lower. Uh, and therefore, we can create accounts for 90% lower costs than our competitors. That's a significant competitive advantage, uh, which is why investors have taken note, right? You, you know, you've gone from historian, is my understanding, to building what's a pretty large business. Are there any skills that you picked up as a researcher that you believe are invaluable to for founders? Um, I think that's a fantastic question. I, I, um, I'm still learning, uh, obviously. I, I am not a professional manager, uh, but the first lesson is that, that as a founder, and especially if you are a non-technical founder, one of our investors always reminds me of that. Um, big hug to Mickey if he's listening. Um, you need to be surrounded by people better than you and, and that have better knowledge. That requires the humility to understand that just because you are the founder and the CEO does not mean that you are the best person to think about payments, credit, or merchant acquiring. You need to get better people than you better managers than you and, and, and people who are, who are going to use that philosophy to hire. And so I tell my direct reports, if you don't hire better people than yourselves, as, if, as, as I've hired you, who I consider to be better than me, you're not going to be a part of this team because we're expanding really quickly. Um, you know, Walla has grown 75% in terms of headcount. Our users are grown 300% in the last year, 400%. And so launched a new country. We're fully rolling out in Mexico bought two bank entities in the last year, you know, you, you have a lot to do. And so you need the greatest talent. And from history, I take another thing that is useful, which is the fact that, um, that you need to understand the problem of contingency, uh, which is that you have to judge people on their decision based on the available information that they had at the time. So I cannot say, Napoleon, you're a terrible general because you went into Russia and you lost. You need to say, Napoleon, you're a terrible general because based on the information that you had at the time when you decided to go into Russia, uh, you made the wrong call. And that not only applies to economic history and, and, and military history, it also applies to decision-making in an organization. And it helps you build actually a more horizontal place where the better ideas win. And, and we try not to judge people on, on you know, verticality, but horizontality. And so we try to build an organization where debate 
yields the best results and and uh, and where we choose those ideas. Uh, and, and that's what we do in history, right? We study those moments and that's how we are supposed to study uh, historical figures. Um, and we apply that method within Walla. Why history, man? What, what was it about history for you? I mean, like, it's funny because... Just as a side note, I lived in Argentina. I lived in Buenos Aires. I remember. And I studied Spanish. I got a degree in Spanish and I read like Borges and I read a bunch of other stuff. And so everyone's like, oh, you're, you're going to be a Spanish teacher. So by definition, you should be a historian, which it sounds kind of like you are because you're throwing in some connection with the business world. Tell me more about like the thought process that went into that, because the classic question of like, what are you going to do with that degree? Yeah, I faced that. I, I remember before getting into Harvard, um, I, I went to the to the opening lecture of a history um, career in Argentina at one of the best universities, and um, and I was the only guy there. Uh, and my family would say, "Well, what are you going to do with that degree?" Uh, and then I, I went to Harvard. I was lucky enough to go. I, I couldn't pay for it. Uh, you remember what Argentina was like in two thousand four, two thousand five. You know, financially, it was impossible to afford. Uh, you know, $50,000 a year. Um, and I got a scholarship for which I'm grateful to my alma mater forever. And that's why I, I've, I've helped back and I try to help other people do the same. Um, and when I got there, I, I, you know, I really fell in love with the liberal arts method, the idea that you could explore different topics before settling into one. And I found a great mentor. I found a great department in the Department of History. I found great professors to learn from. And, and I got to, you know, study with, with, for instance, Charles Mayer, who is like one of the foremost experts on, on the 1970s inflation uh, and, and understand why the inflationary regimes changed in the, in the latter half of the 20th century and how disinflation worked as well, uh, which was very useful to understand my own country, Argentina. Uh, I got to learn from, from Ernest May uh, on, on the Second World War. I got to learn from... Patricia Gonet on French history, like people that, that or, or Emma Rothschild on economic history, you know, people who wrote the books. Um, and obviously Neil Ferguson, my mentor, and, and uh, who also sits on the board of Walla, is somebody I learned from every day since I met him, you know, 15 years ago. And so um, I think that, that I fell in love with the department and with the method of, of crafting history. Um, and I chose economic history because I really wanted to understand how economic forces dictate uh, outcomes. And I had lived through the 2001 crisis in Argentina where just, it's, it was actually 20 years ago, I, it hit me as a 13, 14 year old in, in my home country. And it kind of defined our existence for so long. I, I arguably, it still defines our existence as a country because we relitigate it all the time. And so I wanted to study history to be able to understand what happened and, and what the impact was for everyone um, and, and how we could make it better. And so every, every, every time somebody signs up for Walla, which fortunately it's more than 10,000 times every day, uh, you, you get a, the card, uh, which is a global card, and then you get a letter from me with my own personal email. And in the letter, uh, I talk about how we are the generation that grew up with that 2001, uh, and it's our responsibility that it never happens again. It just turns out that now with it, the Walla dream has expanded, so I'm writing that letter in Mexico, and obviously um, you know, that doesn't apply, so we, we, we localize the letter for a different audience. That's an amazing. I mean, I think it's uh, probably deeply resonates and connects I was in 2001, I was in Argentina during that time. And I remember like, it was like, pero che, por que estas aquí? Like everyone was, you know, it was such a difficult time for everybody in Argentina. So I think you're providing hope for a lot of people. And it's an inspiring story. I think you can see the movement that you've created that's allowed people to kind of 
you know, think differently about their kind of financial world. So you're centralizing all these day-to-day financial services for the average Argentine or Mexican now. What are the verticals that you're currently serving and what are the what's the process behind identifying them in order to provide a complete solution? First of all, you know, we, we stand on the shoulders of giants. I think Latin America, and, and I've heard you talk about this before, so I'm preaching to the choir a little bit, has, has amazing talent. Uh, there was really a first mover in technology. And so we learned from, from you know, great companies like Globant or Mercado Libre or OLX. And I think that when you compete against somebody, uh, and now Nubank, you know, congrats, that was an amazing IPO, um, you know, built by amazing teams. And, and the, the ability of creating ecosystems in Latin America is, is massively under-discussed. Um, um, you know, I've heard people now start discussing the Nubank Mafia. It's great because the, the continent needs so many more of those success stories. And when you compete with people, you also get to admire them a lot. Um, I believe in competition, which is something that, that in Latin America, you know, many people believe that capitalism is about getting an area of the economy and having a monopoly on it. That's not capitalism. Capitalism is winning and it's also losing and, 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 you know, beating your competitors and, and also being beaten. Um, and so what we try to do is centralize everything with one account that is easy, fast, transparent and interoperable, both in Mexico and in Argentina, day one, you can send your money wherever you want, whenever you want, all the money. And while some other institutions put barriers to you moving your money, I encourage it. And guess what? Nobody moves it. Because when you give people the freedom to come in and out whenever they want, they want to stay. And so we started with the account. On top of that, we, we do a, a global MasterCard, which get, helps people uh, spend and then also create a credit history. And we build the things that, that didn't monetize the most at first because we wanted to build that day-to-day transactionality. So when we launched in Argentina, it costs you 4% to send money to a friend. Like your Venmo was 4% because the one company that offered it considered it a sale. And so we did it for free. So P2P, spending analysis, doesn't monetize, but guess what? People like it. Uh, bill payment, we have 4,000 different services in Argentina, 80 services in Mexico, uh, you can pay anything without added fees, whereas in Mexico and in Argentina, you have to pay to pay your water bill or you have to pay to pay your electricity bill, which is insane because the company gets a commission for that. And then the transport card, which is another thing that is very important because it's day-to-day movement. And so now we are fully integrated into the metro of Mexico City. You can pay with any of the wild cards. And in Argentina, you can top up your SUBE card which is the universal uh, transport method directly on Walla completely for free. Are those the things that monetize the most? No, but those are the things that people want to see on a day-to-day basis. So we build those for to start. And in fact, we were the first um, spending analysis in Argentina and in Mexico. And, uh, and then we built the things that, that really are the big verticals of the business. And so in 2018, we launched credit. So we do personal loans and now we do installments, which is the Latin American version of buy now, pay later where you make a purchase and then you installize that purchase. Then we launched in 2019, we launched investments. We have over 1.5 million investment accounts in Argentina. That means that over 30% of all the investment accounts in the country are on Walla. We just launched our own fully regulated asset manager uh, last week uh, that builds on top of that first fund that we did. Um, We launched merchant acquiring uh, in 2020, uh, which now has payment link, uh, MPOSs like Square, and also um, API. So we published our own first APIs. And finally, in 2021, uh, we launched insurance. 
So you can get uh, assistances or insurance like cell phone insurance, purchase insurance, health insurance, pet insurance, which is amazingly successful. I couldn't believe it, but people love buying insurance for their pets. And you do that all on the ecosystem because guess what? Nobody wants an insurance app. And so we integrate those things into the ecosystem and we have all those things readily available. And, and obviously in Mexico, we don't have all the verticals yet, but, but it's quite obvious that we're, what we're building um, and, and they all grow quite a bit. That's incredible, man. Uh, you know, it's funny, you mentioned Mickey Malka and I, I'm recalling uh, me sitting in his office on University Ave and just talking about like- I, I, It's a beautiful office. Yeah, I was there, you know, I just like kind of been in the process of my, my transaction and I was just sitting there talking with him and I was just talking about kind of fintech world and ecosystem given that he's, you know, kind of one of the kings of that uh, globally as an investor, I remember him saying to me, just look at the financial statements, the balance sheet, look at the, pull up all the data on the largest banks and by division, and you've got just these incredibly large businesses just by focusing on one item inside these. And so it sounds like you identified that, you focused on a few things, you didn't focus on maybe the most lucrative things, but the ones that reduce the most friction for your customers and that they loved and you did that in a fair, efficient, technology-driven way. Now you're tackling a lot of challenges at the same time, Yeah, uh, which, which I think is great. Do you have a framework for prioritization and how do you decide what the focus is? I always discuss it with my head of product, uh, Marcelo, who started the company, you know, day one. And, um, you know, it's our hardest task is to prioritize is what do you use as your north. And so for I think that that you you divide it in different stages of the company. In the first two years of the company, uh, the things that we built were the ones that did gave you day to day transactionality. Um, and so we did those things that didn't really monetize. They, they just were making things easier, reducing that daily friction. And so we thought about payments like, you know, you need a card. Why? Because you have Netflix. Then you have uh, Spotify and you want to be able to pay for your purchases on Mercado Libre. You have those things. So you need a MasterCard. And then I also need to pay my water bill and my gas bill and all these things. And other people charge me for that. So I need to make sure that those are integrated. The transport card is the same way. And I need to be able to see how I spend. Does that monetize? Not really. Does it matter? No, because the 25% of people that check out uh, spending analysis do it every day. And so that means our MAUs are out of, you know, through the charts compared to a normal uh, financial institution. And then, and then that builds the organic growth, which is essential. And it's also part of the story in, in Newbank, right? When you give people credit in Brazil, like they, they recommend it to other people. In our case, in almost 50% of signups in Argentina, we have 11% of the country of 26% of the of the under 25s have a wallet card. And yet 45% of our growth day to day, 45 to 50 is purely organic, which means our CAC is very, very low. Um, it's, it's um, you know, like 2% of what it would be in the United States. And so, and so, you know, we just keep adding those customers. Last month we added 120,000 customers uh, to Walla. That means we added in one month 0.4% of the country. And you cannot do that unless people love your product and you have a very high MPS. Um, and so we build those things first. And then, and then we build the vertical. So in the second stage of the company, years three and four, we, we were rolling out these verticals, right? Making your, you got to work a year to do your first loan. You got to work a year and a half to have your first merchant acquiring product. But you have to build those things and have the faith that they'll integrate into the ecosystem. And then I have this vision of an ecosystem that is completely open and interoperable, but where each vertical um, helps the others. Right? Because every time you sell on Walla, 
um, first of all, we have 45% lower commissions than the competitors. But so a lot of people want to sell on our on our rails. But the moment you sell, say that somebody pays you with a Visa card, you get paid that money live. It is instantly available in your wallet account, which means that then you can use it for your purchases, for your investments, for your insurance, for your bill pay, for whatever it may be. And so each of the new verticals strengthens the other verticals. And that is what creates a financial ecosystem. Again, I think that that in Latin America, the opportunity exists for there not to be, I don't believe in this idea in the West of having super apps that do everything because it's a different experience to want to order a pizza that invest in my retirement, right? It's a very different product set and a very different usage. But at the same time, I do think that within finance, which is very personal, very private, it has to be super safe. You can offer more than one product. And so the card is the entry. And then you build all these other things like credit is embedded with the card. And then you have investments, which are very close to, you know, essentially banking is what do you do when you have more money than you need? Invest where you have less money than you need? Take a loan. And then obviously associated things like insurance that people literally asked us to do. Um, and that's what builds up an ecosystem. I want to double click on one thing. You, you know, earlier you'd mentioned that you're not a technical founder, but you're a damn good marketer. And that's something that is very clear to me. And you've, you know, have a different approach than a traditional bank. Walk me through the marketing strategy. I know you mentioned that customer acquisition costs are so much lower than everyone else, given how effective you've been at organic. Talk a little bit more about how you think about marketing. Well, I, I again, hire better people than yourself. I, I remember when we hired Martin, uh, he came from Google. He dropped Google for a company that had 15 people and no product. Uh, sorry, 12 people and no product. Today, he leads a team of 80. I, I did a, a Twitter thread on him uh, a few months ago and it was quite successful. Um, he's an incredible leader, but, but, you know, what, what we do is focus a hundred percent on building the best product because that's the best marketing. And, and so, you know, we, we make all of our own, um, tutorials. Um, we, we do a lot of financial education, which is essential to financial inclusion. We make, uh, all of our own tutorials. And for instance, what is Walla? The video of what is Walla has been viewed more than 30 million times in Mexico. And we launched a year ago. Um, and so that drives the organic growth. Is it an ad? Not really. It's like, this is Walla. Um, uh, sometimes we promote it, but we really don't need to promote it all that much. The focus is relentless on building the best product. And for instance, I'll give you a short story. I think essential part of our marketing is listening to our users. Everyone in the organization does customer service. I do it myself. So, you know, my, my McKinsey chief of staff, my ex Goldman CFO, they all do customer service. Why? Because I do it. And that sets the tone for the rest of the organization. When people see that the management of financial company does customer service, which they'll never seen in a bank, like the CEO comes in in a driver. And, you know, the other day I visited a, a bank um, for, for lunch with the CEO, like his chef emailed me to see what I wanted to eat. Like it's a different, totally different way to behave and, and respond to the users. Even before this, I, I was a minute late to this podcast because I was literally responding on Twitter to some people because we launched a new feature and we literally do whatever the clients asked us to do. So for instance, in Argentina, um, there are capital controls. And so when you bu- want to buy something in dollars, there are some added taxes. Um, and so it's sometimes hard to know if you're buying something for $10, how much that is in pesos at any one time. So we built an, a calculator that is within the app that was the idea suggested on Facebook by one of our users. And then we went to this user and we said, well, you know what? Your idea is great. We're going to do it. We're going to test it. That's the best marketing. Um, that guy tells the story about Walla all the time. And, and that's what builds a great ecosystem. When you listen to the user, you do what they need. You make the improvements 
that 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 they you know that they asked for. For instance, when we launched Merchant Acquiring, we only had Payment Link and MPOSs, and people started saying, "Look, I want to I want to be able to transact with my company on Walla. I need to be able to start a company account." Boom, we did that. Why didn't you publish an API? Boom, we did that. And so that also helps you prioritize because you see how many people want what. Intently listening to the customer reacting and you're doing what a lot of banks don't do, which is actually provide good service, which then converts into happy customers, which then converts into more customers. And those are the people that go and recommend the, the card and recommend the app. And that's the magic, right? Uh, I, I get a lot of email because, as I said, everybody gets my own personal email when they get a card. And I read it all. And, and you know, there, there's, a, there's a woman that wrote to me um, close to the beginning of Walla and said, you know, before Walla, I had to take a day off of work to visit a bank. Argentina is a big country. She lives in Neuquén. Um, and, and she had to take a, a bus and spend three hours getting to the nearest bank branch. But doing it digitally means that this is your bank um, or, or, or your financial institution. And that gives you the ability to do all those things and actually be human when you need it. We don't have bots. We have human customer service. And in fact, one of the things that we changed is that we had it outsourced in the beginning and we brought it all in-house. And, and a great leader in the company, Federico, who comes from Mercado Libre, built a whole uh, team to, to really work on our MPS. And now that's how we have one of the five best MPSs in the country, you know, like comparable to Meli or, or to Visa or to Shell. And, and we're four years old. Um, and, we, and we have almost 4 million customers. In fact, as you can see behind me, I have a counter of how many cards we've issued uh, today. That's awesome. Now, I've read you saying that you want to be the Netflix or the Facebook of finance. Uh, what are the biggest roadblocks you've run into in the quest to make banking services more accessible and not in? Well, uh, there's a lot of difficulties in terms of regulation. You know, launching Mexico took us 18 months. And Mexico is good because you have a fintech law that kind of says this is what you can do and this is what you cannot do. Uh, we're in the process of acquiring a bank in Mexico. Uh, which is a direct product of, 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 frankly, the product market fit that we found. You know, we, we have created so many accounts in Mexico. We did f almost 400,000 in our first year with a very basic transactional product that we said, look, we, we're going to need the license to do everything. And so we went and bought a bank. Uh, and I'm very grateful for our investors who support that and, and unanimously backed me. Um, but I think that that has a great potential, but obviously it would be better in other countries if, uh, if we had clarity on what the regulation is, and many countries don't have that. Chile is just now starting to, um, to, to discuss uh, a fintech law and financial portability. I always say this, the data is not mine. It shouldn't be mine. Why do I get to have Brian's data? You should be able to take your data. And so it's frankly awful to me that the same institutions that support and, and, and launched open banking in Europe rejected in Latin America. And, 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 you know, those are the most profitable banks in the world, Brazil, Mexico. They're some of the most Argentina when the economy is going strong, they're some of the best return on equity of any bank in the world. And yet they don't want to take, allow you the possibility to take your data, whatever you want. Walla is fully open and fully interoperable. Uh, but, but the regulation is difficult. The, the, their competition is difficult when people don't want to share information. Like we have a situation where in Argentina, some banks literally limit what you send to be able to, to send into Walla and Mercado Libre. Why? Because they're afraid. And guess what? That only makes people want to send us more money, not less, because it's their money. It's not the bank's money. And they're like, no, our fraud prevention. And I have, I, we, we, the, the fraud data is available online at the central bank. We have, you know, we, we're not even one of the top 
30 organizations in the country, even though we're the fifth largest in terms of accounts, um, in terms of fraud. And, and, and they, yet Brian can't send Walla money. Um, and so those things are, are difficult in the region. And sometimes we need regulators to say, hey, come on, guys, the regulation is clear. You need to allow the transfers. Like, um, and I think, obviously, fast transfers, as Brazil is implementing, as Argentina is now implementing, and, and Mexico are implementing, should come with open banking. And may there be more competition, because that lowers... Uh, I now have, like, over 4 million accounts. I should be able to say, no, guys, close the doors. But no, what, what we want is more competition, so there's better product, and other people can come and beat us. We talk about a rising tide lifts all boats a lot at Latitude, and is that something you kind of think is important for because you don't really look at your competition maybe there's some competition you know with other neobanks maybe competing for talent or for capital certainly we're certainly i mean everyone's competing with everybody in that sense but you know it's not that like for me i think we were all cheering for new bank when they went public right because it's like that if that shit doesn't go well like what's going to happen to the other fintechs that exist and and so we all need that how do you think about just the overall, like when you when you look at your competitors, are are you thinking the main competitor is the existing system? Is it like and how, and do you even spend time thinking about competition? Yeah, um, our main competitor is cash, and 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 exclusion and no accounts. And so you know, I, I totally agree with your philosophy. I, I borrow it, I, I share it, I make it my own. Uh, and let me tell you, there are some amazing entrepreneurs doing great things in Latin America. Like Nubank, Nubank's IPO was one of my happiest days since I started the company. Because uh, seeing that team on that stage celebrating like made me very happy. Are they our biggest competitor in Mexico? Probably. It's them or Mercado Libre, another company that I greatly admire. But David is, is an amazing guy. Some of the best advice I've ever gotten comes from him. We share investors. We're, I, 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 I look up to him and um, he's always been extremely generous with his time. And so I, you know, I'm so happy for them. And um, I think that, that, you know, Brazil has the ability to really remake uh, finance in, in, in the region by showing the light ahead. And I think there's five to seven years ahead of the rest of the region. Uh, but it's inspiring a lot of people to move and, and more people to invest their time, their capital, their efforts into modernizing uh, the region in terms of financial services and also fixing this ridiculous gap that exists between the 50% of Latin America that has an account and the 50% that doesn't. And so, um, as I said earlier, you know, what, what you, what you have to do is have competition. And so we embrace it and we cheer for our competitors because it raises the bar, you know, competing with Nubank and Melly every day is extremely difficult. Why? Because they're so damn good. And guess what? That makes us better because it raises the bar. And when you have a monopoly in the innovation is dead. Uh, and you will not have uh, better options. And so um, I, I cheer for them every day. And uh, I know they, they, they also cheer for me. And the biggest competitor that we all have is cash. Um, and, and until we, we saturate the market, which is going to be you know, 20 years from now, and everybody will have over 100 to 200 million accounts, then we can start seeing who, who takes users from each other. Yeah, I think that's the right philosophy, and I think it's served you well so far in the relatively short lifespan. And and even if it doesn't, and even if it, when it doesn't, it would mean that that we weren't good enough, and so we would have to start over. Um, because competition is all, also means losing sometimes, and that's okay because yeah. that's that's the system. Yeah, that's what we live in, and, and it just makes you better, right? You come back, and 
So, so I guess it was a couple months ago or maybe earlier this year, I was on a call with Marcos Gatberin. You'd mentioned, you know, Mercado Libre and you mentioned, you know, Nubank. And I think Tommy Perucci, I don't know if you know Tommy Perucci. Yeah, um, I know Tommy. Yeah, so Tommy organized a small little group and we, we chatted with, with, with Marcos Gatberin. And Marcos, behind him, he had his little plaque of, uh, of Stanford, right? He went to Stanford. Um, you went to Harvard. David Velez went to Stanford. There's these institutions that are, they serve as signals, right? And these, these are accelerants for capital raising, for lots of, you know, kind of messages that, that are sent. What do you think the alternative signal is? And given that not everyone can get a scholarship like you did, which that's incredible, or afford to pay the, the pretty lofty fees to get into these universities or these institutions, what are your thoughts in terms of those people are listening, they're like, hey, I didn't go to Stanford or Harvard. Like, what's the limitation there? And how do you break through the barrier? Well, if, uh, if uh, like Mickey said to me once, you know, I don't bet on non-technical founders and I also don't bet on Argentines. And, and then he invested. So, um, you know, if, if, uh, if a non-technical founder can raise money coming from history after re- writing a book that nobody read, there's opportunity for everyone. Uh, but, but, but jokes aside, um, I think there is a there is a transition in education that is going to benefit a lot of uh, a lot of a very part, big part of Latin America. Uh, the ability to do digital courses and and uh, to be able to create and, and and train more developers is a fantastic opportunity for development in the region. I also think it's a great opportunity for my country, Argentina. We have some of the best developers in the world. Why? Because Marcos was there uh, very early. And other people like like the founders of OLX or the founders of Gloant, who are friends, they were there. And so they trained people. And obviously, Wences, the godfather of them all, um, they started with the internet before there was even an internet. And um, and so so that creates a great ecosystem of talent from which Walla draws. And one day, people will leave Walla to create their own companies. And you know what? That's okay. Uh, because that's what creates hubs of development. And so there are now all these companies, uh, including Digital House, where Marcos invested with Henry, where I invested that help people get trained. And, and we all need developers. You know, we, at Walla, we have a program that, that betrays its uh, nerdy roots. It's called the Walla Jedi Academy. And we train our own devs. At one point, we did three series of the, of the thing uh, of Jedi Academies exclusively focused on iOS development um, we, because we cannot find enough of them. And now we hire remotely. We have 1,200 people uh, and we have 92 open positions today. And I cannot fill them fast enough. So I have people in Spain, I have people in the US, I have people in Costa Rica, I have people in Colombia, I have people in Peru, but I cannot fill all these, um, all these uh, positions. But that creates an opportunity for, for Latin America. And I think uh, I was talking to one of the founders of Stripe, um, you know, they're going to hire more in Argentina and they're going to come compete with me. And so countries like Argentina can become a place where not everybody needs to go to Stanford or Harvard. I used to make the joke that I started while I'm part just to show that somebody could come from places other than Stanford uh, and get funded. Um, and, and, um, and, you know, from there, be able to code for the world. And that's a great export industry. It's more sustainable and it's long-term better than, than depending on natural resources as Latin America has for so long. And so I call it digital soy. It's like digital soya beans, highly exportable, easy to produce. Don't you really need a lot of foreign inputs, just a MacBook and, and a good internet connection. And so people don't really need to go to, to these places. I mean, some of the best entrepreneurs don't 
Um, and, uh, and I think that, that, you know, if you look a little bit closer, you know, our, our CTO taught himself to code in the late nineties, didn't even go to school cause he was so good that he was already making a lot of money. And, um, and then he went and was the head of platform for Ux Netaporte and, and came back to be CTO of Walla. I'm, I'm really proud that he joined us uh, a year and change ago. And, and, uh, you know, you don't need to go to those places to get funded. And many of the, many of the founders that we're seeing in the region, and I'm sure Latitude, uh, and you have seen many of these stories don't need to come from those universities. Uh, and in fact, funds don't really care about where you went to school. They care about what your idea is and what the TAM is and how you can make it possible. hundred percent. And you know, when I, when I asked Marcos about that and he said that if he wasn't working on Mercado Libre, he said the number one thing that he would spend time on is education because it is one of the biggest levers and it's definitely an opportunity to kind of reshape and, and create access. I mean, money is, you're creating access through money and, you know, education is another kind of lever. And one of the most successful, she was telling me the other day that, that the most successful alliance that we have is one with Coder House. And so while uh, Coder House and Walla help you finance your, your education, uh, when you want to learn to code, uh, they give us great discounts. We give them five. It's great for everyone. And, and people are, you know, we have a, we, our, our demo naturally skews younger. It's very successful. It's almost as successful as Steam. Obviously, the, the, the ticket items are bigger. Um, but, but we see a lot of people, there's a lot of demand for this. And the same with Henry, a company I, I proudly support. Um, there's a lot of opportunity there. And I think that, that that's a great source of growth for the region. I want to double click on... When you think about your challenger bank, what can challenger banks do to promote more social mobility? It sounds like, you know, you've got a mentality of kind of elevating others. It's like very clear. What are your thoughts about your responsibility for Walata to promote more social mobility in general? Well, neobanks just need to exist because before us, uh, if you made less than a thousand dollars a month, nobody wanted to give you an account. Why? Because you were never going to make them money. And so the same institutions that in Spain or in the UK would give accounts to everyone because that's what the state forced them to do. And Latin America were so profitable because they said, you know what, Brian, if you don't make more than a thousand dollars a month, you know what, like I cannot legally tell you, you cannot have an account, but I'm going to put all this maze of regulation and, and lines and bad customer service so that you would just go away. So I can bank the rich and be happy and have great ROE for my investors. And then we came along and suddenly David has 50 million accounts. Mercado Libre has 20 million accounts. Uh, we have 4 million accounts. And, and there's a lot of other startups all around creating accounts. Uh, and we compete against them, but we, you know what, celebrate them. And so I celebrate what, what uh, you know, startups like Cuenca have done in, in Mexico or Albo or, or Bold are doing in Colombia, Movi uh, or Yape in Peru. And between all of us, we are bringing all those people to, to financial inclusion. Uh, and that opens the door to so many people. So what we can do for social mobility is merely to exist. And, and I always say this, and I totally mean it. If, if the only thing we've achieved uh, in our journey is to force the big boys, the big banks, to serve everyone and not just um, the, the, you know, the top 10% of the population, then we will have served our purpose. So they can come, they can code, and they can beat us. And if they beat us, great, we'll go away. Uh, but we're not going to go away because of a regulatory arbitrage that they're trying to pull with the central banks. We're going to go away if they beat us with product. And guess what? That means adding more services to more people, make it more transparent, more open, and more interoperable, which was not the case before. 
You mentioned a story about a woman that drove three hours. Now she's able to do things on her mobile phone. What are some other internal stories that you like to share with the team? Because everyone wants to be part of a company with a purpose and you guys clearly have a purpose. What are the other internal stories that you find yourself or mantras that you share with your team that you feel like really resonate with, with people? Well, uh, I'll tell you um, a couple of stories. Um, first of all, we're, we're, we're doing, a, because of our connection to 2001 and the great Argentine financial crisis of that year, uh, we uh, asked everyone in the company to tell us how they thought about that. And uh, one of our best uh, members of the tech ops and infrastructure team uh, wrote a story that, that I, I'm not going to be afraid to say made me cry. Uh, how it had impacted his family, how it had made them destitute, how he almost couldn't study and how he had to support his mother from a very, very early age because she had lost her job um, and that he had put his, his brother through school. Um, and, and then he concluded by saying that, that that's why he was so proud to be a Wala and he's one of our best leaders. He's one of the most engaged uh, workers and also a, a great culture carrier because he believes in the mission. Uh, and I was discussing this with, with uh, one of the senior members of our marketing team uh, who leads all of our press efforts. She used to be in the government and she joined Walla. She had offers everywhere and she joined Walla very early on, Julieta. And, and you know, she said it's because people in our generation want to work for a cause. It's not just about the money. Um, and that's why we do what we do. And that's why we're not afraid to work 16 or 18 hours. It's much harder to do it when you don't believe in what we're doing. And finally, I'll give you, I also already told you about our head of marketing who left Google for a company with no product. But you know, when we started, there were four of us. We were at a Starbucks. We didn't even have a co-work. We were bringing laptops from the US and I had a billionaire who invested in Walla, I'm not going to name him, uh, in seed stage, bring a laptop on the plane because the import taxes were so big that I didn't want to buy the MacBook in Argentina. And so he brought it in, gave it to like one of the people that had left Glowant with no product, no plan barely an idea to code with us. And uh, he was like, wow, you guys are thrifty. And, and these people were like, wait, we just left Globan and like, you're like bringing laptops on the plane, like instead of buying them here. Um, and, and, you know, we, we built the product together because I just had an idea. I'd never built a, a product before. Uh, and, and that's why, you know, everyone in that room is still with the company and we're still coding together. We're still talking every day and we're still enjoying these, these counters that we, that we got thinking that we were going to see if we made it to having over, uh, you know, 50,000 accounts. Now we do 50,000 accounts every two weeks. There's a video of Walla when we first hit the 50,000 accounts. Um, and uh, my mother reminds me of this all the time because I said, oh, mom, if we only get to 50,000 accounts, you know, we'll be, we may be able to raise a Series A. And uh, we were preempted in the Series A before the 50,000 accounts because we didn't have enough hands to approve the accounts every night. Because uh, we were just like hitting yes. And the compliance guy was like, are you checking the IDs? I was like, yeah, sure. We're checking the IDs. Um, he's, he's great, by the way. Uh, but, but you know, we, we've built a great organization on the, on the philosophy of fixing a problem, of working together to do it, and co-creating. Because once again, uh, you know, I couldn't have done it on, on my own. And so you got to be surrounded by people who are better than you, that hire better than you, uh, and that create teams that can co-create. We don't, we don't, like one of the things that differentiates us from the from our competitors, um, not the ones that we talked about, but the ones we didn't talk about, the traditional players, is that you know we don't have an IT department. There's no business person that goes around to the IT guy and says, "This is what you got to build, dude." We co-create. 
And if we didn't co-create, people wouldn't want to be at Walla because they wouldn't be able to share on the mission. They would just be, you know, service people to the business lead who tells them what to do. And that's just not the philosophy of the company. And that's why we, you know, we push product every week. Yeah, there's an ownership mentality. And and I love the stories you mentioned, the frugality you know, story. I just got back from Sao Paulo and I, I delivered two laptops while I was there. Yes, um, so yes. I subscribe to that. I think that I may have overdone this a little bit in the beginning days of Viva, um, which uh, maybe are the reason why I have more gray hair than I did when I started. But uh, it, it definitely is something that the other banks been around with these huge fat margins and you know, they're lazy uh, from the standpoint of like, it's just been, it's just been good. And they're spending money probably in areas they don't need to just because they, uh, they have the money. So it's great that you had that, that mentality. I, I'll tell you one more thing. Um, you know, like three months into the company, we had just launched the product, the, the marketing guy and, and the product guy. And I got a, got a call with Andres, who's another one of our leaders who, who is the head of wealth. Now he leads all of the, all the, all the investment products within Walla and build this asset manager from scratch. And we got a call from Netflix and we were like, oh my God, Netflix is calling. And um, they had an exclusive deal with one of the big banks in Argentina and they had gotten paid millions of dollars every year for the exclusive rights to do a campaign on with the Netflix name. And Netflix said, you know what, guys, you can use our, our name for free on, on your marketing materials. And, that, and we were like, wait, what? And they were like, yeah, use, you know, don't, you, you can use Netflix. And, and, and I was like, why? And they were like, because we've noticed that more and more people are paying with Walla. Today, we have like over 400,000 people, I think, that pay Netflix with Walla. But then we had like, I don't know, a couple thousand, uh, but they already noticed it. And they were like, you give us net new users and the bank may pay us, but they just switch from another bank. Whereas you give us people that weren't there before. So you are the means to paying for Netflix. So use it for free. And then Spotify said the same thing. And we're like, oh my God, this is good. Yeah. Yeah. and, and that's it. That's exactly right. Other people have to pay for stuff that you, if you build good product, can come to you. Yeah, associating with big brands like that that are like super respected and like you know very kind of on brand with voila, right? Like yeah. those companies. Now I got two more questions to close it out here. We've talked a lot about your your success, which has been. I'm sure it's not been a straight line. Uh, it never is. Never is. Was there ever a moment when you thought the company you know might fail? Uh, well, I'll tell you another story there. When we were closing our Series B, uh, we realized that that uh, one of our uh, weekly reports, we, we, we did weekly reports, we, that moved so much that so we need to do it monthly now because the data is just so much. And so we go through every single product, every single vertical, and every investor gets a full data, uh, very transparent data release on, on every metric in the company. It's 45 slides every month. Uh, but then we did it weekly. There were a lot less products and a lot less people um, and a lot less cards and accounts. And we realized that that um, one of the numbers had had gotten stuck because of a bad Excel formula. So we had been misrepresenting or, or misaccounting uh, uh, the number of delivered cards um, and because one of the denominators wasn't moving because uh, the, the formula had broken. And uh, the whole team got together and there were like 25 of us back then. And we went into our, our, our meeting room, which is the largest room we, we still have. We don't have a newer, newer office yet. Um, and uh, we were like, oh my God, this is it. This is over. Like um, Goldman, Goldman's going to tell us that, you know, the Goldman was leading our Series B. 
they're like, we got to call them and we've, we've sent them the wrong numbers. And, and the variation wasn't big. It was like four or 5%. Uh, but by, for us, it was like huge. Um, and we gave those guys a call and they were like, um, you know, what are you, what are you talking about? Like, it's so small. Like, why would you care? We're not betting on what you have today. We're betting on what you're going to have in two years. But for 12 hours there, we thought, you know, it was all over. Uh, and it had been an honest mistake. It had been a, uh, the finance guy. I, I still remember his face. He came to my, into the meeting room because I don't have an office. They came to the meeting room. We're all there. And he was like, if you want this to be my last day, it'll be my last day. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, no, I need you to fix this. Um, and he's still with the company. In fact, uh, uh, he, uh, he's one of the great leaders we have. And, um, yeah, it, it was that, that day we thought it was all over and, and it barely registered with our investors. They kind of made made fun of me. I think that that there's something I like to say, which is like, it's usually never as bad as you think. And it's never, usually never as good also. And, you know, so it's like, it's yeah, somewhere totally. in the middle. And, uh, somewhere in the middle. So, so last question here, Serrano con broche oro. Um, what in your mind is definition of, of success? Oh, that's such a great question. Um, I think the definition of success is to be able to wake up every day and do what you love. That means you're successful. Um, and I was, I was uh, quoting that great, uh, Steve Jobs, so five, uh, Stanford graduation speech, uh, not the lines that most people quote. My favorite line was the shaving line, the, the line about shaving in front of the mirror. And I think that, that I consider success to be able to wake up every morning and work on Walla because it's a dream. Every day is fantastic. And as Wenz has said, um, you know, nine out of 10 days when you're, when you're starting up are shitty and they're difficult and nothing works and three things fail today. Uh, some data released that we needed to send to the central bank didn't go out as planned. And so our head of legal is worried and our head of compliance is always worried. Um, and, and we have to negotiate all these things and this and that. And, and there are moments when, you know, AWS crashed last week and for 12 hours, some people couldn't log into their accounts. It's a total disaster. Big hug to the people at AWS. They're great, fantastic partners of ours. And yet that day was extremely difficult. Um, but you wake up every day and you get to do what you love and what more is there? Uh, I love my job. I love my team. And uh, frankly, uh, I would say I do this for free, but I don't draw a salary for Walla. So technically I do it for free. Um, and, and it's fantastic. It's a great pleasure to do. And, and when I see how people love the company, they, they really, you know, we, we, I didn't get to talk about this, but we have a philosophy um, of of really giving people ownership in the company. The ESOP Awala is huge. Uh, over fifteen percent of the company is owned by by the members of the team, and um, that is excluding me. Um, and I, I'm very proud of how people are are loyal and and build product alongside me, and and they're so good that they they you know nine out of ten days they tell me I'm wrong, and we do what they say. And that's to me what success is. There you have it, man. Thanks so much. Uh, really great to chat with you. Really exciting to see the growth and the transformation that you're having and the financial inclusion and really just everything that you stand for. And I'm continue to be looking out for you on Twitter with your pithy comments. And uh, so thank you for coming on. Thanks, Brian. It's a great pleasure. And congrats on all your achievements. And that's really fun to be able to be here. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Latitude Podcast with Pier Paolo Barbieri, founder and CEO of Voila. Be sure to check out latitude.com to find out how to apply to our fellowship program 
and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts for more talks with great founders and investors like him. I'm your host, Brian Reckworth. Vamos Latam. See you next week.